Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. What's keeping you from being the best you can be? Whatever the issue, you can clear that obstacle and come out swinging. Welcome to Be the Best You Can Be with Dr. Linda Sanicola. On today's show, we will feature guest experts who can bring you the tools and ideas that you need to take the next step to your personal success. Now, here is Dr. Linda Sanicola. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. Today, we're going to be talking about the exciting topics related to the brain. My guest is pediatric neurologist, Dr. Sharif Terraman. And let me tell you a little bit about him. He is the assistant division chair of the Chalk Children's Specialist Pediatric Neurology Division. And for those of you who are not in Southern California, Chalk stands for Children's Hospital of Orange County. He is also a health sciences assistant clinical professor at UC Irvine School of Medicine. Dr. Terriman is board certified in neurology with special qualifications in child neurology. He is a magna cum laude graduate of the University of Michigan, having majored in biochemistry. He completed his medical education at Wayne State University School of Medicine in 2006 and went on to complete residency training in pediatrics and pediatric neurology at the Children's Hospital of Michigan. He is also one of Chalk Children's Medical Infomaticists and works directly with the Chief Medical Information Officer to develop and implement technology to improve healthcare delivery and outcomes. He is actively involved in the Chalk Children's Medical Intelligence and Innovation Institute and as director of the Neurology Multidisciplinary Concussion Clinic, he has worked closely with Chalk Sports Medicine Program and neuropsychologists to develop a comprehensive concussion rehabilitation program. Dr. Terriman's other clinical interests include more severe traumatic brain injuries and neuroimmunology. His research interests include neurotechnology, which means the brain-computer interface, nanotechnology, bioinformatics, and traumatic brain injury. He is active in the community as a board member of the AAP Orange County Chapter, Irvine Unified School District Medical Advisory Board, and volunteering for the Girl Scouts of Orange County and the Capistrano Unified School District. According to Dr. Terriman, we are in the midst of something very exciting, a time in which various disciplines such as medicine, art, computer science, psychology are all intersecting at neurology. We are very close to unlocking the secrets of the mind. Welcome, Dr. Terriman. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Um, you know, I have to save quite the bio there. And my first thought was, when does this man get a chance to sleep? <laughs> 
<laughs> I'll tell you the favorite thing in that bio actually that I like is uh, people don't realize that I'm actually a certified Girl Scout, by the way. Just, just so you know. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> Official Girl Scout, not just Official. the volunteer. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> now, um, can we start with, t- ask, I'd like to ask you, what drew you to pediatric neurology? So this is actually pretty funny. Um, I really actually started out in computers and was doing a lot of things with computers, even uh, having an own, my own business back in high school. And I worked at Ford Motor Company well before I went to medical school. And then um, kind of realized, you know, I'm not so happy with just doing the tech kind of things. I really enjoy people and I enjoy interacting with individuals. And I really want to do something that I feel is, you know, important for society. And even when I was in tech, I, you know, I worked in the safety department at Ford Motor Company, so I was working on crash data and how do we save lives, essentially. Um, and then first day of medical school, my daughter was born, so that kind of shifts you towards pediatrics really Oh, early yeah. On. Uh-huh. Uh, and then by happenchance, the way that medical school works is a little bit uh, peculiar. They just kind of randomly assign you to rotations. And my first rotation was actually psychiatry, which I enjoyed immensely. Um, And I really just sort of got in very quickly into medical school was how is this brain working and how how are we interacting with patients and what makes people have mental illness. Um, And then my next rotation was an elective. Um, So psychiatry, sorry, then neurology and then elective. Uh, And so pediatric neurology was an open elective. I took it. I fell in love with it very early on. And Mm -hmm. kind of the rest is history. I just kept going back to it. So So you really just developed a passion for it right away. You know, it was one of my first exposures. uh, And I think actually the way that it worked is very serendipitous. Having psychiatry, then neurology, and then pediatric neurology just really set me up and I think helped me appreciate the way that the human brain works. Uh, and it's, it's just a fascinating uh, organ. And I think, you know, like you had mentioned in the, 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 the bio speech, you know, we are at a point where everything is really intersecting. We're seeing, you know, engineering and bioinformatics and psychology and psychiatry and neurology. And there's this big convergence coming down the pipeline to say, we're really being able to understand something that we, for many, many, many years, really have not fully appreciated or understood how the brain works. And we're getting mm-hmm. to that point where I see a pathway where we'll, un- we'll really under- start understanding how the brain works, but then also how the brain, when it, when it gets into trouble, becomes malfunctioning and mm-hmm. uh, causes you know, either neurologic disease, psychiatric disease, which are actually really the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, just the psychiatric diseases are just more poorly understood, that's all. Right, that's that's certainly true, and and when I um, when I read your quote about uh, we're close to unlocking the secrets of the mind, I thought, oh, that lit me up. I thought I have got to talk to this man, <laughs> you know, because that's so fascinating. When we're looking at that whole brain mind intersection. Yeah, you know, back in the '90s, there was this uh, push. You know, it's going to be this is the decade of the brain, and we're going to do all this really cool technology stuff, and then it just sort of fizzled out. And I think. Technology wasn't ready yet for us to start unlocking those secrets. I think with advanced imaging, and we're seeing all of these new imaging modalities, um, we're even getting to the point, there's a computational neuroscientist, his name is Sebastian Seung, and he's got a great TED Talk, if any of the listeners want to look him up, it's S-E-U-N-G, and he talks about something called the connectome, and that's actually how all the neurons connect to each other. And that's not a static process. And actually, one of the reasons that I like pediatric neurology versus adult neurology is that the 
the, the child's mind is actually developing very rapidly, and it's, mm-hmm. it's a moving target. So mm-hmm. when we talk about how the brain reorganizes itself, we see that is much more robust in pediatrics, and there's a lot more that we can do uh, to influence a pediatric brain than an adult brain. Usually after puberty and into early adulthood, the brain starts getting fixated in its ways, and that's very clear, right? We, 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 once you get your personality, you're kind of stuck with it. <laughs> uh, but you kind of develop that win in, in college or you know, late adolescence is when you start developing. This is who I am as a person. And the reason mm-hmm. that that's happening is, is that there's hormonal changes that influence the way that the brain is uh, wiring itself. Which is why we also see that, you know, drug use, for example, in adolescence, you know, that's the peak time when addiction forms. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when the cigarette companies were advertising towards the teenagers, they knew well before the medical community knew that, and they didn't understand why necessarily, but they knew that if I can get a kid to start smoking when he's 15, 16, or when she's, you know, a young uh, woman, then I'm more likely to keep them as a lifelong consumer of cigarettes. But if, they, if you wait till after your 18th birthday and try a cigarette, you could still get hooked, but it's just so much harder and it's much less likely to happen. And is that sort of like there's a vulnerability towards uh, addiction or substance abuse or whatever that be in that developing brain? Well, you know, so the interesting thing is, and we actually had a great journal club, um, oh, honestly, about a month ago, and this is where we... The doctors get together and we read a really cool article and we talk about it uh, for the listeners. But we, we were talking about the experience of addiction. And, we were, we, and, and what happens is, is that basically the way the brain works is you have reward systems and you have sort of uh, systems that tell you, oh, don't do that thing again, right? If I touch something hot, I get mm-hmm. a signal to my brain. And mm-hmm. that signal is interpreted as, that's hot, don't touch it, right? So you learn early on, there's things that are hot, don't touch them. There's things that are, you know, cold and that's okay or normal touch, right? Um, and so there's these reward systems, right? I get affection from my parents, there's a dopamine response. So all of this is happening, right? And you're getting wired towards all of these signals and the brain's learning how to interpret them. But when we start using um, things like uh, marijuana or uh, cocaine or heroin or any of those things, what happens is they, they sort of change the way that that system works. And even mm-hmm. after the reward is gone, the heroin, the cocaine, whatever it may be, the drug, there's still this persistent activation of that reward system. And so what we see is actually a lot of the um, normal responses, my normal interactions with my loved ones, they don't get the same response, and so they actually get diminished. And so the, re- the whole brain is actually rewiring itself as the exposures uh, continue. And, you know, coming from Detroit, I had patients that would tell me, you know, I, I, at this point I'm not taking the drug to, to get high. I'm taking the drug to get normal. And then at some mm-hmm. point I'm taking the drug so I don't feel ter- terrible because now everyday life is horrible. And that's mm-hmm. why I'm taking the drug. So there's this progression of addiction that actually happens. Which is pretty tragic, really, you know, as you look at that and, and, and the tools that people need to be able to break that addiction and to go into recovery. It seems like the more we are able to incorporate your knowledge and, and uh, information about how that brain recovers, the easier it will be to implement the recovery process for people. Oh, for sure. And, but this is also 
this also speaks to a stigma of mental health issues which have existed outside of the U.S., but also still exist in the United States. Um, you know, we look at mental health issues as, you know, let's not talk about it. Let's not address mm-hmm. it. This is a defect in the person. I mean, we, back, uh, you know, 20 years ago, people were call, saying children who had autism was because the mother was cold and didn't mm-hmm. rear the children properly. Refrigerator right? so mothers, have, we used to call them. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. right? Um, but so we have these kind of very, and this is actually also fascinating, how do these ideas get stuck in people's brains? How do mm-hmm. people and the, the masses, right, how do we think about things? Um, how does society view things? And how does that perception get changed? Um, it, it, I think all of this stuff is, is extremely fascinating. But if we think about things that are, quote-unquote, outside the norm, if I have a depression or I have an anxiety that should not be viewed as a weakness. That should be viewed mm-hmm. as a disease like we view every other biological thing that happens to us. Right. And then we need to understand that. Why does anxiety happen? Mm-hmm. Why does depression happen? And we know we have some ideas on why it happens. But as a society, we still look at that as a quote-unquote mental illness rather than an organic biological illness. So until right. policy yes. changes, until society changes, I don't think that we're going to make as much headway as we could to help these conditions. Right. I I would certainly agree with you on that. And um, we're getting ready to take a short break now. We'll be right back with my guest, Dr. Sharif Terriman, and he will help us unlock the secrets of the mind. Be right back. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Are you happy with your financial life? Or are you like most people, underachieving with your income, working your tail off without the rewards you deserve? Are you going through a boom or bust cycle over and over again, hitting an inner set point? Perhaps you are struggling with the same old issues over and over again. Are your finances a source of peace or stress? Is your money the root of your problems or the path to your freedom and empowerment? If you answered yes to stress and problems, then it's time to ask yourself one more question. What else is possible? Sign up for Dr. Linda Sanicola's six-week Tapping into Wealth Coaching program by visiting drsanicola.com. This program is designed to help you break through your unconscious wealth set points and experience the true freedom, creativity, enthusiasm, and rewards you were meant to have. Get started today at drsanicola.com. That's drsanicola.com. Are you happy in your life, or are you just settling? It's time to speak out, take control of your existence, and let your life speak. Bart Queen is the host of A Hero's Journey. His personal goal is to help you find your voice, use that voice, and live the life that you deserve to live. Do more, be more, and give more. Tune in to A Hero's Journey on the Voice America Empowerment Channel, live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. You owe it to yourself to tune in and make your voice count. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
You are tuned in to Be the Best You Can Be with Dr. Linda Sanicola. If you want more information about Dr. Sanicola or our program, please visit drsanicola.com. Again, that's drsanicola.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking with Dr. Sharif Terriman, a pediatric neurologist, about uh, the latest in... Um, pediatric neurology and how that information can be used really and it sounds like a broad spectrum of human conditions and issues and I guess um, maybe we could move on to the whole idea of concussions that's been in the news so much lately and um, first of all I guess maybe we could start with a definition of concussion what is a concussion from your point of view yeah, so uh, definitely a hot topic, and we, we're, we're seeing this huge uptick in, in the number of kids that we're seeing um, needing evaluations for concussions. And essentially a concussion is some jolt or blow to the brain and or spinal cord um, that causes a transient disruption in the way that the brain or spinal cord is working. Um, and the symptoms can vary from headache, dizziness, lightheadedness, visual complaints, um, some emotional things like um, increased irritability, feeling sad, sleep dis- disruption, um, problems with concentration, focusing, that kinds of things. I think one of the um, interesting things about concussion, though, and, and why it probably didn't get the attention that it got, is it's kind of one of those um, hidden diseases. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kids look fine when you see them uh, many mm-hmm. times, and they have no outward appearance of the injury just like many of the mental health things that we see, right? right. They, they look okay day to day, but in reality, they're, they're doing a lot of struggling on the inside. And, and I, I might even um, take that one step further for the older kids, in particular, maybe high schoolers. And sometimes they try to keep it hidden. They might want to continue their sport, for example, and they won't tell you. What they experience yeah, Have for you seen sure that? and 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 you know that's because their frontal lobes are not fully myelinated so their mm-hmm. executive functioning is not totally where it should be right because right. we all did stupid things when we were in high school and you Ex- look back and you go oh my god why did i do that <laughs> yes. i'm <laughs> that lucky i dumb, survived right? sometimes yeah <laughs> uh, but yeah no there is and there's pressure on them um you know uh, it's amazing i think when i look at some of the pressures on some of the high school kids that i see you know, they're high-achieving as students. They're taking more than what a college student would take in their freshman year, so the equivalence of greater than 12 credit hours um, in AP classes and honors classes. They're trying to uh, manage sometimes part-time working plus extracurricular activities. Um, so when you joked and said, well, when did I sleep? You know, I worry about them and when they sleep. Exactly. Um, and we know that sleep is very important. Um, many, if you disrupt your sleep, you can have a myriad of symptoms um, from headache to dizziness to confusion to poor, I mean, it's a torture technique, actually. Right? Mm-hmm. If I wanted to torture somebody, you can just sleep deprive them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and you know, as we look at that, how would how would people know? How would say parents know if their child seems to have a concussion? When is the point of intervention? What what should they do? When would they so, see you? Yeah, so point of intervention actually needs to happen immediately after the concussion um, is recognized. And, you know, if that's on the football field or the soccer field, that means removing them from play. Because we know that um, if you have a head injury, which is not fully recovered, sustain another head injury, 
um, shortly afterwards or even up to the one or two week mark if you've not recovered completely, you can have some catastrophic um, uh, consequences, including something called second impact syndrome, which is mm-hmm. the sudden swelling of the brain. And there's probably at least uh, one athlete in each state you know, every year that is dying on the football field, the soccer field, the basketball court, whatever that may be, because they didn't recognize they had a concussion or they didn't say something or somebody didn't recognize that they weren't playing right, something was off. So, you know, if the kid has a hit, uh, and, and somebody sees it and the kid's not playing right, you know, we as a, as a community should say, no, that, that child needs to be pulled out of the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes symptoms don't present till a days or, or, you know, 24 hours after. Um, but once they're recognized, getting in good care is important. Uh, I tend to see the kids that are really, you know, refractory. So most kids are going to recover just fine. You don't need to worry too much about them. Almost 85% will recover within the first three weeks. Um, but they do need to take some steps, like, you know, taking it easy for a day or two. Um, don't go right back to school. I had a girl who was in a car accident and then had a finals and tried to go take finals right after her car accident. Mm, yeah. You know, it, it's some of it's common sense, to be very honest with you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but I see the kids that are really like three, four, five months out, really not doing well, We and we institute a, a comprehensive rehabilitation program for them. And so um, the first thing they would do is maybe just see their um, their pediatrician, or their family yeah, definitely plug into their pediatrician. If the pediatrician, for some reason, is not comfortable with managing the concussion, although many are becoming more comfortable, um, I have some great colleagues in the community who either do sports medicine um, or, again, are pediatricians that have experience managing concussions. And, again, most of the kids, if they follow the rules, slowly ramp up their cognitive, what we call return to learn. Um, and we work with the school districts to try and implement this in, in California, um, there's a group in Colorado that did a great job um, putting in a program. Pennsylvania um, has done also a really uh, excellent job about implementing statewide initiatives for return to learn and return to play. Um, so, yeah, and they, you know, as they move forward, like, like you said, it needs to be an issue for the community to get behind, for all of us to support the idea that if a child appears to be injured in this way, they shouldn't play. Yes, and and we need to get them back to normal before they do go back. We've kind of changed our mantra. There's no set number of concussions that say, okay, you know, I've had, let's say, three concussions. I can't play this sport anymore. Um, What we really look at is how long does it take for them to recover? Is it prolonged? Are smaller forces causing more problems? Um, obviously, if they have any persistent problems, then that's, that's a different story. But we don't fully understand what puts people at risk to end up like some of the boxers or some of the football players that we see that mm-hmm. go on to have this, what used to be called boxer's dementia, but it's now called mm-hmm. chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And that means just basically I've taken so many hits to my head that now my brain is not working properly. And you get this... Um, protein that accumulates in the brain and causes it to not work properly. And it, and it can cause memory problems. It can cause emotional dysregulation, depression, anxiety, variety of different symptoms. But there's probably genetic things and there's, and there's things about the way that you get hit and how frequently you get hit that then say, okay, this is going to happen to you at some point. So we're going to figure that out, I hope, in the next coming year so that we can advise better about, you know, when's too much and how many is too much. But we don't really know yet. And, you know, um, do you have a particular protocol or advice that you might recommend to parents about 
how people should, um, I, I guess, deal with what I'm going to call brain hygiene. It's like, how do you take care of your brain? I, I know when I see kids, I often stress the importance of really quality nutrition and oh, how that brain sure. is fueled. So, yeah, so quality nutrition is really important. Uh, I think in America we have a, a, a big issue with diet, dietary. Um, and, you know, if you think about it, nutrition is a medicine, and we should think of nutrition as medicine. Um, if I'm eating processed foods and foods that are, you know, not healthy and I have, you know, strange restrictive diets, that's not going to be good for me. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a lot of fad stuff that goes on, you know, um, excluding this, excluding that, uh, avoiding this, avoiding, you know, I, we want to make sure that we're eating healthy. We have a well-balanced meals. You know, we try and eat good things that aren't, you know, bad for us. But uh, we also need to think about just in general the mental health component of it. I-, I will tell you the majority of kids that do poorly after concussion are the kids that are stressed out, not sleeping well to begin with, have tons of headaches because they're overworked. Uh, and, of course, if you... If you have a head injury, that's going to magnify any pre-existing problem that the patient has, mm-hmm. and then it becomes so difficult to manage them. So, and you know, oftentimes one of the things that that worries me, uh, from my perspective, if I see a child who, maybe they have learning disabilities, maybe they have ADHD, and they go on the football field, and they get a concussion, uh, I see those children as more vulnerable in the first place because of so those. Pre-existing conditions. Both the pediatric brain, so in, this is the one condition where kids don't rebound as fast as adults, right? So kids mm-hmm. usually will rebound much quicker than adults. They can take on adversity much better than adults. These will get cancer patients and things like that. Mm-hmm. But concussions, they don't do as well. They take longer to recover than, than adults, and it's because the brain is developing. And then for sure, if they have any pre-existing learning disabilities, things like that, those things are going to get magnified, amplified, and it's going to cause problems. So Although sports are great, and I'm, I'm, I'm all about let's get the kids active and let them participate in sports, sometimes we really need to think about, okay, well, what about the impact and the contact sports? Because I have kids come and ask me, hey, Dr. Chairman, I want to box. I said, well, you can learn how to box, but I don't want you hitting people in the head, and I don't want people hitting you in the head because the point of that sport is to give people a concussion. So right. there's no way that I can endorse it. Right. There's no way that I can tell you go do that thing. That's, mm-hmm. not, that's clearly mm-hmm. not a good idea. Right, right. Yeah, and there, you know, it just always worries me, if, especially with parental encouragement. It's like, oh, yeah, he can play. Well, in my opinion, he shouldn't play if he has those pre-existing conditions because that brain is already too vulnerable. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. and again, I think in everything that we do, though, it's all about risk and benefit analysis and saying, okay, does this risk outweigh the benefits, right? And so, you know, if this is, Maybe the only shot that this kid's going to have to, you know, be successful and that's all he's got going for him, you know, still maybe not the best idea, right? Uh, maybe we need to look at, well, how do we make this kid as successful as, as possible? And that's really what we need to do mm-hmm. um, and maybe give more options, right? Because I think a lot of kids maybe feel like, well, this is my only way, right? I, this is mm-hmm. the only thing I can do that I'm good at. Um, and, it, and unfortunately, that's, that's a sad reality sometimes. Yes, and it is sad reality. It sounds like you're pretty involved with the parents as well. It's like well, you, you, have you don't to be. just see and the, the schools. Kids that... You have to be super involved with the schools because if you're not, you're not going to be successful. Yeah, that's certainly true. And and I think one of the things I value most is the relationship I have with some of the school psychologists around who are willing to work with me 
as we try and make the best plan for the child. Yeah, I think incorporating the child is also important. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I as much as I can, both in the way I parent as well as the way I deal with my patients, is I try and encourage the parents and the patient's involvement in their care because ultimately, uh, you know, I'm treating the patient. I'm not treating the parents. Right. Uh, and, I, and I'm treating, but I'm also treating the whole family because I know, mm-hmm. I realize that, that care does not happen in a vacuum. And when in the break we were talking about, you know, I can prescribe all the medicines I want, but if I don't recognize that this family can't afford the medicines, then mm-hmm. my treatment plan doesn't work, right? So I have to take those things into consideration. And then take you know, a broader view. Healthcare doesn't happen outside of a social vacuum. Yeah, yeah. Well, we need to take another short break. So we'll be right back with my guest, Dr. Sharif Terriman. We're talking about various aspects of pediatric neurology and how we can all work together to help kids. We'll be right back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Are you happy with your financial life? Or are you like most people, underachieving with your income, working your tail off without the rewards you deserve? Are you going through a boom or bust cycle over and over again, hitting an inner set point? Perhaps you are struggling with the same old issues over and over again. Are your finances a source of peace or stress? Is your money the root of your problems or the path to your freedom and empowerment? If you answered yes to stress and problems, then it's time to ask yourself one more question. What else is possible? Sign up for Dr. Linda Sanicola's six-week Tapping into Wealth Coaching program by visiting drsanicola.com. This program is designed to help you break through your unconscious wealth set points and experience the true freedom, creativity, enthusiasm, and rewards you were meant to have. Get started today at drsanicola.com. That's drsanicola.com. The last time you saw sparkles of life in your day. Each day holds a treasure, the extra in the ordinary. It is too easy to miss them because they're familiar and we take them for granted. If you want to add sparkle to your day, listen to Mighty Gems, spotlighting everyday jewels with Dee Lee. She offers a new way to view the world and to discover your own Mighty Gems in daily life. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are tuned in to Be the Best You Can Be with Dr. Linda Sanicola. If you want more information about Dr. Sanicola or our program, please visit drsanicola.com. Again, that's drsanicola.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back, everyone. We are visiting today with my guest, Dr. Sharif Terriman, a pediatric neurologist and assistant division chair of the Chalk Children's Specialist Pediatric Neurology Division. And, you know, there's so many issues that that I think we could talk about today, Dr. Terman, but one of the things that I read about in your bio and something that I really don't know too much about myself, but I think is 
probably the wave of the future and, and a really exciting research area, and that has to do with um, neurotechnology and the brain-computer interface. Yeah, so this is actually a fascinating field, and um, one of the uh, projects that I actually in high school envisioned was uh, working on a, a prosthesis for a rehabilitation, and so that was my um, one of my what was an independent research project when I was a senior in high school, actually, with my physics professor, of all things. Mm. Um, so, so early on, I was kind of even thinking about this stuff. But, um, you know, there's been a great amount of work done through the Department of Defense um, and the VA hospital in terms of doing rehabilitation. And so what this essentially is, is I have an injury, let's say, that affects the way that my leg works, my arm works, uh, something like that, and, and, and or even the eyes, for example. And And so what we've looked at is... Um, as a group of scientists and researchers uh, throughout the country and in the world, is how do we help the brain receive new signals or bypass areas that are injured? And so we're seeing, you know, new, and especially with 3D printing, um, new mm-hmm. prostheses that help people who have either an amputation, have a spinal cord injury, that kind of stuff, move body parts that they either couldn't move before, um, control a robotic arm, those types of things. So th- this, this wave of um, brain-computer interfaces uh, and how do we get that to really move forward mainstream, I think is going to help with a lot of the both war injuries. Um, hopefully we can just get rid of war, but reality is, is we're still going to have a lot of veterans coming back with you know, lots of issues. And so how do we help them? How do we help kids who lose limbs? Those types of things. And I think that this is a really exciting field of medicine that's, that's developing. And, uh, and in your particular practice, what would you see as the most common need for that, for example? You know, so we see a lot of kids with stroke, um, more than people realize, because um, stroke is actually highest in the newborn period as well as at the end of life. And so people don't think, oh, babies have strokes, but actually mm-hmm. we actually see a, a good amount of that. I did not um, know that. So, yeah, so, so this is, and this is, if you think about it, these are kids who develop cerebral palsy. Um, mm-hmm. the stroke mm-hmm. is a big reason kids have cerebral palsy. Um, and I think we'll see that in, in the adult world as well with amputees, with spinal cord injuries. You're going to really be able to say, okay, how do I bypass this injury? Um, I think also, so in the Medical Intelligence and Innovation Institute at Chalk Children's, We focus on several areas. So artificial intelligence is going to be a huge area where it's going to have influence in medicine. You know, we have information overload. So as good as our electronic medical records are in getting us information, it sometimes is a little bit too much information. So using Mm -hmm. computers to help pull out that information, IBM Watson is a fantastic example of where artificial intelligence can now beat you in jeopardy. But the question is, can artificial intelligence help me diagnose a patient? Can it help me pull out information that I wouldn't necessarily realize as a clinician. Um, another big area is going to be 3D printing. You know, we've seen 3D printing for casts, which is going to be great. Um, 3D printing uh, for uh, uh, actually organs now. So they're printing vessels and tracheas. And you wow. know, at some point, they're going to be printing kidneys and hearts and maybe neurons. So mm-hmm. this, is, this is something that's really going to be coming down the pipeline. Um, and then looking at nanotechnology, so these are really micro-scale, uh, or actually now nanoscale. so if you think micro, and then nano is the next step. So these are really, really small particles. Um, and so we can make nanorobots that go in and say, okay, here's a clot, go get that clot. You teach the mm-hmm. nanorobots to do that. 
Um, so nanotechnology is going to be huge to deliver care where it's needed in very, very small spaces. And if you think about babies, right, mm-hmm. it's hard to do certain things. And so we try and scale down our robotics to do surgeries on them. But at some point, maybe nanoparticles are really the way to go. Um, we also look at genetics, too. Genetics are huge. I mean, right, just because I give you a medication doesn't mean that you're going to respond to the medication. So understanding mm-hmm. how does the medicine work to with the genetics to either cause a problem, right, a side effect, how does it work, you know, who's going to respond to which medicines. So that personalization of medicine is going to be coming down the pipeline. These are all these areas that are coming together. So actually, it's, you know, I think there's a lot of people who are sort of, uh, scared to go into medicine. A lot of physicians are sort of dissatisfied with medicine because there's a lot of issues going on, but mm-hmm. I actually look at it as an exciting time to go into medicine. So I would encourage young people, you know, this is a field that's ripe. If you have great ideas, if you're passionate about helping people, this is actually a really great way to get into to doing that. Um, so. and, you know, one of the things that, that Matt might come into play with that is that the kids who are coming up now are uh, what we call, I think, um, technology inhabitants. They've yeah. grown up with technology, whereas some of us, um, especially people my age, are, you know, technology immigrants. We've had to come by it secondarily and learn it, you know not as a, a young child. And so the people who grow up with it will have a different perspective and they will have a different way of thinking about the tools that they have and that can be created perhaps, bringing a whole new fresh energy towards that, I would think. For sure. I, I think this is also a balancing act though, too. You know, um, I, I'm not going to lie. I struggle at the dinner table I and mean, we don't struggle anymore, but it's, there's a big rule. No phones, get a, you know, no phones right. at the dinner table. This is Excellent. time to have like face-to-face conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to find balance in, in the way that we implement technology. We have to make sure that we don't allow it to control our lives, um, but mm-hmm. use it as a tool to enhance our lives, to make our lives better. Um, and not become slaves to technology. Because I think there's right. a lot of push. And my, one of my mentors, Dr. Anthony Chang, who runs the um, Medical Intelligence uh, and Innovation Institute at Chalk, he says, well, th- what's the problem? Don't, don't bring me a cool technology. What's mm-hmm. the problem? And then we can see if there's, because there might be a really easy fix that has nothing to do with computers. Right, and right. It's really just simple, and sometimes mm-hmm. simple is better. Right? We don't have to right. overcomplicate stuff. Right. It's like um, sometimes when you want somebody to take their medicine on a, on a particular schedule and they don't do it and you find out, well, they don't have a clock. You yeah. know, so, it, you know, things like that, that we have to remember the, the human connection and the, you know, the face-to-face issues as well. For sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, I think another big area that's important, and we were kind of talking about this on the break, was just the communication. So we run a multidisciplinary clinic for the concussion kids, but I think technology will actually help us communicate better and open that bridge of, you know, we have these now these patient portals so the patient can contact the direct doctor, can be a, an advocate for their own health. I can go and log in and I can see my lab values and I can see my test results and I can, you know, and I think engaging the patients, we're changing the, the, the philosophy of medicine from being this paternalistic, do as I tell you to do, to mm-hmm. this is a partnership. Let me mm-hmm. help you help yourself be a better person and be in a better state of health. 
And and especially, I think that that can extend to the different disciplines, because I mean, you're in, in a, a site where um, you have multi specialists on board, uh-huh. and you have a team approach, and, and it looked like that was particularly important in the uh, concussion program. And, For sure, and I, but I also think it, like you said, it's important to communicate back to the schools, and so as, as we use these channels, so that if they're not physically there. How do we use technology to improve communication so that everybody's on the same page? I think also telemedicine is is really growing, um, and we're building a telemedicine program here at the Children's Hospital to really reach out. And the other thing, too, is is no no patient should not be – the expertise that we have as institutions should not be siloed in our institutions, right? There should be no reason that – what I'm working on is not accessible to everybody else and what some other great scientist is working on is not accessible to us. Mm -hmm. Um, That accessibility needs to be open. And one of the revolutionary things that Chalk has been able to drive with this Medical Intelligence Innovation Institute is really getting all of these key children hospitals together. So we're building a, a collaborative platform to share information, share science between us openly and, and not in this competitive nature that sort of has driven healthcare in the United States to some extent. Mm-hmm. And that must lead to an exciting synergy. Oh, for sure. We, our group is pretty eclectic. I mean, we've got, uh, we got a chef, we've got a map maker, um, we have an architect. So we have a dietitian in our group. We have nurses, we have doctors, we have social workers. We, anybody you can think of, um, we've got that in our group of innovators. So it's not, mm-hmm. it's not really a healthcare innovation group. It's a Anybody who can come with a great idea that can help a kid, mm-hmm. come on in. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's cool. And, you know, I think with kids, one of the things that I, I learned early on in, in my training with children is that oftentimes they will find the person who can help them. Uh-huh. And it may not be the person we think that will be able to help them. You know, that sometimes they are able to sort of hone in on a particular person and whatever their specialty may be and look to that person for support and guidance and to help them move forward, whatever their issue may be. And that's always interesting to see. Yeah, a pediatric is, is by, by far Anything pediatric-related, I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of the too. things also, I think, for with pediatrics is when, when you're working with kids, at least I think it's important, is to be able to speak for them when they can't speak for themselves. Very true. Very true. I think, you know, as a pediatrician, as a pediatric neurologist, we do have to advocate for the kids because... Mm-hmm. Um, it's not always the doctor knows best, but, but we have to be able to advocate for those children when they can't communicate what their needs are or can't communicate, um, or special needs patients, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that's super, super, super important. Um, mm-hmm. I also think, though, too, you know, honestly, you have to have fun in your work. Um, oh, yeah. When you go to work, and, and, and I think that this is maybe also why healthcare and pediatrics is different than the adult world, is you have to be able to joke and have fun and, and, and mm-hmm. enjoy yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that changes the entire context of the visits, I, you know. Uh, right. If you come in and, and everything's, you know, sad and gloomy, and that doesn't do well. I mean, I think if you look at, like, rehab, for example, we were talking about earlier, I think one of the successes of rehabs is they're really nice places, and it's, and it's a beautiful place to go to, and you're, you're kind of overstimulating in a way, and that's, this is understanding the biology of addiction. You're overstimulating those reward pathways so that there's something other than the drug that makes this person feel good, mm-hmm. right, so they don't have to go after the drug. In the same way, 
we find that if we change your environment in the mm-hmm. hospital, if there's more colors, if there's more activities, if there's music therapy and pet therapy, all of these things improve health um, in ways that we don't understand, but we know that it happens. We can observe that this is a measurable mm-hmm. phenomenon that happens. Mm-hmm. And that's fascinating, and it's just incredible information as as we move forward. And um, we're getting ready to take another break. We're going to go to a quick commercial, and we'll be right back with my guest, Dr. Sharif Taraman. Be right back. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Are you happy with your financial life? Or are you like most people, underachieving with your income, working your tail off without the rewards you deserve? Are you going through a boom or bust cycle over and over again, hitting an inner set point? Perhaps you are struggling with the same old issues over and over again. Are your finances a source of peace or stress? Is your money the root of your problems or the path to your freedom and empowerment? If you answered yes to stress and problems, then it's time to ask yourself one more question. What else is possible? Sign up for Dr. Linda Sanicola's six-week Tapping into Wealth Coaching program by visiting drsanicola.com. This program is designed to help you break through your unconscious wealth set points and experience the true freedom, creativity, enthusiasm, and rewards you were meant to have. Get started today at drsanicola.com. That's drsanicola.com. Should there be more to your life? Do you need a change? Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young will provide empowering commentary each week to encourage you. She will interview successful personalities from movies, television, business, technology, health, and academia. All of them have amazing stories, resulting in transformed lives. You'll learn how to discover real happiness, financial success, and fulfillment to live your highest purpose. Join her on Tuesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and a replay Fridays at 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Women's Channel. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. You are tuned in to Be the Best You Can Be with Dr. Linda Sanicola. If you want more information about Dr. Sanicola or our program, please visit drsanicola.com. Again, that's drsanicola.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking today with pediatric neurologist, Dr. Sharif Terraman. And um, as we start this last segment, Dr. Terraman, I want to take a moment really to thank you for your time today. I can only imagine how busy you are after having read that bio. So uh, the fact that, you know, I really appreciate the fact that you would take time out to, to spend an hour with us. So thank you. Very much. No, it's been it's been fantastic. This is really fun. I actually enjoy this a lot, and uh, thank you for all that you do as well uh, for oh. helping the listeners get to their 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 best state that they can be in. I think that's important. 
Yes, you know, that's my goal. If if there are people out there, and, you know, we have listeners all over the world. So um, if there are people out there that can benefit from one little nugget that we've shared today, then that's really powerful for me. So I want to make sure that um, people know how to reach you. If they want more information about your the programs that you offer or a chalk concussion program or contacting you, how can they best do that? Yeah, best way is probably to go online. Uh, if they go to www.choc.org, um, they can look through the website. Um, there's links to concussion. There's links about various epilepsy topics, uh, stroke, etc. And then even outside of neurology, I mean, I have a, I'm very fortunate and blessed to work with about 150 chalk children specialists from very variety of different specialties, and from cardiology to endocrinology and so we've we got a really fantastic group out here in Southern California. And um, if you have any interest in any pediatric specialty topics, if you just go to chalk.org, um, you can, can look us up and all the information is there on how to get a hold of us and ask questions. Great. Thank you. And if they're local and they wanted to make an appointment with you, would they be able to do it through the website as well? Yeah, there's a 1-800 number. I don't know it off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a 1-800 number to call to uh, make appointments and uh get referrals to their primary care physician to do that for any any of the specialists. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, You know, I I wanted to finish up with with the idea of what you were talking about in terms of how we use color, how we use uh, music or pet therapy or whatever it is um, as adjunctive tools in really healing the brain. And how fascinating that is that, you know, these issues that perhaps we don't, normally considered to be brain-related really are, aren't they? Yeah, you know, it's amazing because, again, you know, all of this stuff is coming in. You have all of these signals coming in. Um, maybe the clothes that you wear, the food that you eat, the, what your lighting is like, what colors you're seeing, what noises you're hearing. All of that stuff is coming into the brain, and all of those signals have to get processed. And those signals are not static, right? The brain is rewiring itself all the time. And so, again, that when we come back to that connectome concept, which is, you know, I'm, I am probably my connectome. The way that my brain is wired makes me who I am. And mm-hmm. we know that the way that the brain works is that repetitive stimuli strengthen connections, right? So if I want to learn how to play guitar, I'm not going to learn that by just sitting there. I got to practice learning how to get, play guitar, Mm-hmm. Right, But if I pl- learn how to play guitar and then I never do it again, my brain goes, oh, I'm not really using that. Let me repurpose that part for something else. Right, So that's that you don't use it, you lose it type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of these inputs that are coming in are, are super important and, and, and more than I think that we really realize. Um, so when we talk about exposing yourself to all art and culture and music and those things, those are important actually for brain development. And I think outside of brain development, also for just well-being in general. Um, you know, I have parents that come and, and they're, they're, the brain MRI looks horrible. There's massive damage. And I thought, you know, the brain MRI sometimes can look horrible, but the kids at the end of the day look really, really good. Um, mm-hmm. There's actually a great TED Talk by um, Dr. Mather, and he's a, uh, uh, it's a, it's a TEDx actually talk by Ted Mather, uh, Dr. Mather, and he's a neurosurgeon up at UCLA, and he talks about what you can do with half a brain. Um, and so the brain is actually this miraculous thing that, you know, it, it, can, it can do a lot even if you take a half of it away. Um, mm-hmm. It'll reorganize itself. Um, it'll change itself to, to accommodate um, this, these inputs coming in. So 
I, I it's like parents, there's a you know, push for health. Like yeah, there's a talk, push for health. Talk to your kids as much as possible. Read them stories. Expose them to plays. You know, take them out into the world. Let them experience things like sense and touch and, you know. I mean, this even talks to how we educate our children, right? And maybe, mm-hmm. maybe sometimes it's not best, right? I mean, we, we think about recess and the kids don't go to music class anymore and we don't have art in our schools anymore. I mean, what is that doing to the way that we our children are learning and what does that mean for them as adults right that's that's a sad thought isn't it that is very sad so i it's i think it's important for us to realize that again there's a lot of stuff that we don't know there's a lot of things that we don't understand how the brain works but the more that we understand the way that the brain works the more that we're realizing that these things are actually very important um and it's not just about numbers and you know uh, and, and I think it's also empowering these kids. You know, someone who's an mm-hmm. artist is actually a very important component of society. Someone who's a musician is a very important component of society. And if you look at the Renaissance period, for example, these things were actually very appreciated by society. And that helped push that, that entire, you know, medieval times of Europe out of the Dark Ages was that right. Renaissance period, was that appreciation for art and music. So I think if we lose that appreciation, then I think, we're headed towards the dark ages. Right, right. Uh, and and do you find that kids, when the kids themselves are really receptive to basic information you share with them about, well, this is how your brain is working and this is what happens with music or colors or whatever at their level? Yeah, that. yeah. I think everybody should, is, is receptive to that. Um, and when you start showing them, and there's these little tricks that we learn to kind of show the kids what, how this stuff kind of works. Um, if you think about like guided imagery, Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we have a little bit of time, but just briefly, if you visualize shooting a ball into a basket, your accuracy actually improves. And mm-hmm. there's a biological basis to that. Your brain's actually activating pathways before you shoot the ball to make it work. And mm-hmm. so in the same way, we can use things like guided imagery to guide us towards health, to guide us to feel better. Um, and these are techno- techniques that, you know, plugging in with a psychologist can make you actually a much happier healthier person, um, just learning how to use some of that stuff. Yeah, that's awfully powerful. And and um, I, f- I feel like I could talk to you for at least another hour here, but we're out of time today. And once again, I, I want to thank you for your time. I appreciate so much the information you shared with us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Sankoa. My pleasure, and I hope you will all join me next week when my guest will be Dr. Karen Can, a holistic physician and the author of Healing Chronic Pain, and we'll be discussing how to use acupuncture without needles or LifeWave technology to help activate your body's own ability to enhance health and well-being. Also, please be sure to check out and like my show Facebook page, Dr. Linda Sanicola. And today, I leave you with the words of Jane Goodall. You cannot get through a single day without having an impact on the world around you. What you do makes a difference, and you have to decide what difference you want to make. Thanks for listening. See you all next week. Thank you for listening. Be the best you can be with Dr. Linda Sanicola can be heard each Wednesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hope to have you join us again next week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.